we don't have a lot of time. You need us, and we need you. We've all seen what's going on out there, and none of us is gonna survive if we don't stick together. I need you to give me your word that if I open this door, you and your boys will stand by my command at all times. I never give my word. It's okay. I never make deals with criminals either. Welcome to Screen Run. I'm your host, the Lady Juan, and I'm here with Chris Scalzo. <laughs> Pregnant pause. It's been a long day, <sighs> long week. Sorry, sorry. I'm happy to be here. Good. Bring that. Bring that. Bring up the energy. Hold on. Yeah. I'm gonna bring up the energy. Woo. Go. There you go. <laughs> Try not to hit the microphone too much. It just—it's ASMR. Is that good? Baby. Is that a great audio experience for people? It's wonderful. It makes them feel like, like they're it. in the room with us. <laughs> so Screen Run is the show where Chris and I discuss the films of a particular artist or franchise movie by movie and here in season three we are talking about the films of John Carpenter in today's episode we have crossed into the 21st century we'll be discussing the 2001 film Ghosts of Mars and we're so excited today to be joined by a brand new guest we have Helen from Twitter <laughs> hi, hi Helen <laughs> I'm so excited I love I love this movie. <laughs> Probably the only person, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were you were out there representing for this movie oh, on yeah. Twitter and we were like, we gotta get her. <laughs> um so that is <laughs> that is how we found you. So we're so glad that you could join us to talk about this one. Can you, you know, tell us a little bit about your history with this movie and with John Carpenter movies kinda in yeah. general? So I actually watched this in theaters when it first came out. Um, it was me and my dad. He's um, who got me into movies, so he he was like always mm-hmm. down to watch whatever I wanted. Um, <laughs> but I, I do remember like both of us in the theater, probably by ourselves, really <laughs> enjoying it. Just like like this was wild. It was campy. Um, so I feel mm-hmm. like it's kind of sentimental in that way, which is weird to say about Ghosts of Mars. But um, <laughs> it, it really is. And I feel like that's just kind of carried with me. So, like, I've made people watch it and been like, this movie is so good. Like, you're going to love it. <laughs> and then it's it's Ghosts of Mars. So <laughs> I feel you on that as someone who advocated for Alien versus Predator so hard <laughs> last season. Nobody else likes that movie and i'm like it's great i, I mean i <laughs> love <laughs> alien versus predator so it's fine <laughs> i got one <laughs> nice i got one chris did you see this in the theater when it came out if you i did this... i did oh, okay How, what were your feelings yep. then do you remember the experience no i mean <laughs> somewhat not really i i remember being underwhelmed we'll put it that way i think that it was being the carpenter fan that i am i was like that that that's that's no good oh. that's no good that's what, you know and yeah i was vastly disappointed with it i just thought it was a train wreck and we'll see what i think now upon this rewatch but yeah. i remember walking out of the like i know we talked about it last week that maybe he's lost a few miles off his fastball but now he's not even hitting the catcher's <laughs> mitt like that's how i felt walking out of this like thing i feel like part of why yeah. we liked it a lot is because it kind of felt like a movie you would see in a drive-in 
just like that weird like sci-fi type of um yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> camp i guess <laughs> and that's they don't release a lot of those in theaters anymore so it was just like yeah. sadly not yeah yeah i was thinking about the movies at this time so i didn't see this movie in the theater um i'll get to the box office for this movie in just a bit but this weekend i believe i was seeing summer catch <laughs> in the movie theater because it came out at the same time <laughs> i know I, I was seeing freddie prince jr that's what i was doing but thinking about the movies of this time there's like this made me think of obviously alien versus predator it's the same kind of kind of thing feels like jason x like dracula 2000 even laura croft tomb raider a little bit like it's very it is like very kind of campy and over the top and yeah i mean ice cube runs with two ak's (laughs) rapidly swinging his head back and forth to see where i would put it in like dad metal new metal type of like it's it's dad metal the movie (laughs) and it's it's also kind of in like the weird western genre Mm -hmm. like wild wild west and um jonah hex which i mean they're they're also not great Mm. movies but i i gotta say i watched jonah hex like last year for the first time and i was like this is not as bad as what people made it out to be it's perfectly fine did you lose a bet? Was this for binge movies? No, what did you... Uh, kind of. <laughs> but I will tell you, my one takeaway was I was watching it and I was like, that is the worst Irish accent I've ever heard. That was Michael Fassbender. Which that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Why was yeah, no. Irish accent so bad? But that was my takeaway from it. But overall, yeah. not bad. But like, yeah, I, I, it definitely is that kind of uh, right. that kind of movie. And it's like that time period also has like, you either have red filters or like green and blue like cold filters yeah. and this one's obviously like yes. the red right. filter but that's like every type of like new metal horror has one of those filters <laughs> yeah you're 100 percent right and there were a bunch of mars movies around that time Mission too weren't to mars there? because and, of the mars and red yeah the mars Planet, rover it yeah. hit so they came out that yeah. same yeah. same time it was it was the season of mars it's I weird mean. it's you would think you know Hollywood's usually very good about coming up with really original concepts and not beating the same thing over and over to death in the same year, right? He said sarcastically. <laughs> yeah, that never happens. <laughs> so I've got a tiny bit of background on this movie. Uh, oh, good. Not ton, just just a smidge that we can kind of go through and then we'll get into the, the film itself. So the kind of long-standing rumor of this movie is that the script for this was originally another escape film and it was going to be another Snake Plissken story. Sandy King, who's John Carpenter's wife and one of the producers of the movie, says 100% like, nope, that's not true, never true. People are crazy. So she says no, but he does wear a tank shop and camo pants and he mm. is a criminal. So, <laughs> but I feel like that's the main reason why people think that is that outfit choice. It's Escape from Mars. <laughs> they they are they are escaping. It is it is happening. I I have to think about it because we talked about Escape from New York and Escape from LA and how basically the plot beats are exactly the same. This one I can't say that because the plot is told in such a different way. 
like the narrative structure of it being a flashback, I can't tell if the story beats are the same as the other two movies, other than the general outline of criminal must escape a place. Right. Um, and there's no supernatural aspects of any of those films either. Do you think hang gliding is not supernatural? <laughs> Maybe unworldly, <laughs> but hardly supernatural. Yeah, so that's kind of like the debate with this film is some people think it's it was an escape film. Some people think it wasn't. Sandy King says no. John Carpenter did co-write this film and he did the score again. So we'll get to that when we get to our score corner. Mm-hmm. Um, our lead character is Lieutenant Melanie Ballard and Fomka Jensen and Michelle Yeoh were, you know, action ladies. They were offered the role, but turned it down. And then Courtney Love was cast and was ready to be Melanie. And allegedly her boyfriend's ex-wife ran over her foot. And so she was not physically capable of doing the role, um, which is wild. Um, what a what a reason to call out of a gig is. I feel like that might not be the actual reason, but you know. <laughs> right? But if anybody were to tell me I can't do something because my boyfriend's ex-wife ran over my foot, I would believe Courtney Love. Like of all the people to use True. that excuse, that's I would I would be like, yep, <laughs> okay. So instead, as Melanie Ballard, we have Natasha Henstridge, who is probably best known at the time for the Species films, and as we mentioned, we have Ice Cube playing Desolation Williams, and he was originally this character was originally going to be played by Jason Statham, but they uh, didn't feel like he had the star power at the time yet because he was just a little baby Statham. He still has hair. So he's still in the film as another cop, Jericho, but Ice Cube is bringing the star power uh, to this movie. And then uh, the rest of our kind of main cast is uh, Pam Greer and Clea Duvall are the other the other cops here. The movie was shot in late 2000 in New Mexico in a converted gypsum mine with a ton of red food coloring so that it would look like Mars, which I think is pretty cool that there's a lot of like actual sets and locations, <laughs> even though most of it's at night. Uh, looks like it could have been a soundstage, but I appreciate that they really went for went for that there. The movie had a $28 million budget. It did open August 24th, 2001, which is the same day as Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back as featured hey. in season one of Screen Run. Um, it opened at number nine in the U.S. box office, making $3.8 million that first weekend. And the top 10 were American Pie 2, Rush Hour 2, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, The Others, Rat Race, Summer Catch, as I mentioned, which I was seeing, The Princess Diaries, and Captain Corelli's Mandolin. It grossed a total of around $14 million worldwide through its theatrical run, so it is technically a financial failure. So that's a bit of how this came to be. Chris, did you have commentary that you watched for this one? or No, uh, I did not own this on DVD or Blu-ray. I don't own it in physical media. I can't believe you, Chris. <laughs> I know, and... <laughs> It's tough to get a hold of. I mean, you're going to pay 25, 30 bucks to get this on Blu-ray and on like eBay or Amazon. It is not out there. It's not an easy find. So I don't think it's quite out of print, but it's just rare enough. Mm. So, and I like you guys. I like the show. I wasn't prepared to drop 30 to $40 on a (laughs) Blu-ray copy of Ghosts of Mars. Especially since I'm sure at some point Shout Factory will put it out or something. But uh, I mean, it's a $3 rental on Amazon, so... I That's did do I that. Did. <laughs> and if you have digital there credits. Oh, oh like I, I had digital credits. I've ordered nah. far too much laundry detergent and I keep getting credits <laughs> for being like, nah, delay that, delay that. It's 
this is my own personal scam <laughs> I'm running to get free movies. Perfect. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I will give the briefest of plot summaries and then we can kind of dive into to talking all about it. So it's 2156. The people of Earth have begun to terraform Mars. We've got mining colonies set up all over. We've got cops and society on Mars is matriarchal. That's what uh, the text on the screen wants you to know. <laughs> And um, I have to say, there was an opening voiceover while the text was on the screen, and my brain would not process both. Right. It's it's just kind of um, a background of, of the text. So it's kind of saying the same thing that the text is, just not, like, in the same words. Yeah. Basically, just that there's, like, the matriarch. Yeah. And they're, they're bringing um, Mel in for, um, like, questioning on this mission. Gotcha. Yes. Truly. I went back to it over and over and I was like, my, my, my brain broke. I can't. <laughs> I, I figured out I have some issues with my attention capacity. <laughs> so That's what this movie helps me discover. So the first thing I kind of wrote down to talk about, if that's OK with you guys, is our cast of characters, because I do think like a generally really positive thing to say about this movie is that our cast of characters has um, women in charge dressed in absolutely reasonable <laughs> uniforms for the jobs yes. that they're doing, people of color, and kind of some older people, which, like, we don't really talk about how, like, underrepresented age diversity is as much because we have so many other things to fix in films. Um, mm. But I really did appreciate that, like, we got a wide range of characters from whether it was the cops, the miners they ran into, the prisoners, it was it was a very diverse cast of characters. So I did appreciate right. that. Absolutely. And even um I feel like Pam Greer, they kind of allude to her being a lesbian. So um mm -hmm. even like that representation as well. Yeah, I felt like that was that was a really positive thing to see in the movie is like we're we're going to establish we've got a matriarchy here. The women are in charge. We only have like one scene of Melanie the staple action movie scene with a woman is like we got to get her in her underwear real quick so <laughs> yeah. that does happen very briefly but i do feel like it wasn't shot in a way where it felt creepy no, it was kind of like the ripley scene in aliens where she's yeah. getting into the spacesuit yeah like it felt it felt as reasonable as possible for it is to be like look at her in her underwear but like it didn't right. feel creepy so i appreciated that and and like i said the fact that they're playing police officers and they're actually dressed like police officers would be that's a positive that i want to call out for this movie 20 years before people are were even asking for anything right. like that so good job there <laughs> yeah yeah so for melanie for our hero what do you think about natasha henstridge and if that character would have been played by courtney love what are what are your feelings about that helen i feel like it would have been a completely different movie <laughs> if, if yeah. it was courtney mm. love um i also kind of feel like natasha henstridge maybe was not the correct casting but then i was trying mm. to think of like top actresses or like popular actresses of that time and it's like angelina jolie <laughs> Kiara Knightley, yeah. mm -hmm. Meryl Streep. Like, <laughs> I, I don't, I can't think of someone else that I would pick instead. Yeah, it's a, like a, a tough kind of, I don't want to say caricature because it's a real character, but like that kind of setup for a character. Right. I think my layup would be Uma Thurman. Oh. 
I could see her yeah. pulling that off. She um, could, yeah. That's a good maybe choice. a Naomi Watts or a Holly Berry too. But uh, yeah, I think I would probably. I agree with you, Helen. I, 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 I don't know. If she quite works in the role, and I have tons of issues with Ice Cube. Oh no, <laughs> I, he's my favorite character of the film. <laughs> Is he? I feel like he's just. I feel like he's just not up to the task. I feel like he's projecting a persona more than he is acting, and I'm not really? buying it. For I mean, most of the I, time. I yeah. see that he kind of phones it in for like some some of some the of those lines. line deliveries. Oh. Are just... <laughs> yeah, um, like tide is up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think because I also have such an affinity for Anaconda that. I just really like him in this, mm-hmm. like, action role. I'm like, yes, I need more. <laughs> oh, sure. Give me some triple X oh, yeah. any day of the week. But I just, <laughs> I don't know if he's just still kind of finding himself as an actor in this film. I mean, you know what? That's a fair point. I did not, where was he? Like, what it was under his belt at that point? So we're talking 2001. Two- they sh- I'm assuming they shot it mostly in 2000, 2000, right? yeah. It was like August to October 2000 is when so they shot it. it was after right. Anaconda then. Yeah, yeah, you're right. After Anaconda, but pre the Triple X sequel. You know, right? but he was he was really good in Three, Three Kings. Three Kings, yeah. So it could hmm. be the script, <laughs> I'm starting to think maybe I could yeah. be. I did read that he is not a fan of the film and he's like come out publicly saying that it, it's not a good movie and he only did it because he <laughs> wanted to work with John Carpenter. Valid. Yeah. Valid valid call though. Like yeah. absolutely. Yeah, you you 100% take that chance to work with oh, Carpenter yeah. if you're going to get it. Doesn't matter what the script is. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no. No, doesn't doesn't matter there. I for for me Natasha Henstridge bothered me a little bit because she was too pretty and put together for me to mm. process that she was supposed to have like a raging pill problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um it, like her ponytail was never once even out of place. And I feel like mm-hmm. I would have believed Courtney Love as somebody mm. with a substance abuse problem. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just, I just felt like she was just, you know, too buttoned up. Like even the first time where we see her take one of her pills from her necklace, I was like, "Is this a thing we do in Mars in the future? Is like you have to take like a medication right. to like adjust for the atmosphere?" Like she did not seem like somebody who's, you know, not on top of it. She was, you know. Perfect ponytail, ready to go. So. Well, I know, I believe that I think she made like six films in yeah. 2000. Yeah, she burned herself out. And she was suffered from, they actually shut down the production for a week so she could oh, rest because wow. uh, she was just extending herself too much. But I also think read later on that she had d- issues with her weight, like in regards to mm. taking extreme diets and Ugh. stuff to get thin. And I don't know if that included pills or something as well. So I ended up, I mean, I feel bad for her that mm. she, you know, felt the need to have to do that. And whatever the case, I guess she damaged her met- metabolism oh, wow. now too. So because of it, which is just wow. horrible. Yeah, I don't know. That was a tough run for her. So I think she equates herself well in it. There are a couple scenes where I kind of buy her, but then some of the action scenes too, they just don't... <sighs> I don't know. It just doesn't really come together for me for her in this. I, I almost think Clea Duvall would have been more believable as a lead in this than 
Henstridge was. But she's, at the time, you know, she's the big name. She's one of the it actresses yeah. working at that yeah. moment. Yeah, they're definitely, they, they need the name there. Do you guys have any anything else to, to kind of talk about with the cast before we, we move into the, the matriarchy that we're being presented with here? I was going to say, I like that um, Peter Jason was included because he's in like, yeah. So many of John Carpenter's movies. <laughs> yeah. mm. Yes. And I think I actually did a John Carpenter run of like all of his movies last year. And Peter Jason was like one of my nice. top actors that I watched. <laughs> and I was like, who <laughs> yes. is this guy? He's he's always and there. I, I also like um, Joanna Cassidy as Whitlock, who um, she's Rose from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, and then <laughs> also the the main villain who it's crazy that Marilyn Manson didn't sue John Carpenter for um, <laughs> stealing his likeness. But yeah, the, the main villain's name, um, if you look at like credits, is Big Daddy Mars, <laughs> which which is so ridiculous. Um <laughs> But <laughs> he's played by a stunt double who also played the merman in Cabin in the Woods. Oh, oh really? Which is pretty cool. Um, that is cool. And then, yes. um, the, the name made me remember Romero's Land of the Dead because, like, the main villain in that is called Big Daddy. And I'm just like, mm. <laughs> why are they doing this? Why are they naming the villains Big Daddy? <laughs> the carpenter's currently working right. through something. Yeah. I don't know what, but Big Daddy yes. Mars. Wow. Wow. I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to have people start calling <laughs> me that. You know you know that somebody came home from seeing this movie and like made their AOL screen name Big Daddy Mars. Absolutely. Like, hundred oh, yeah. <laughs> percent. And I do like a lot of the names in here too. Outside of Desolation Williams, Jericho Butler yeah. is just a fun name to say. Bashira Kincaid. You know, there's some fun names in there. And I wanna say I would think I would have liked to have seen my man Jason Statham. As yeah, Desolation yeah. Williams, I I've always liked William um, uh, Statham. Uh, fell in love with him, obviously, in the Lock, Stock, and Snatch, and of course the Transporter movies, at least the first two. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a big Statham fan. But it is disconcerting seeing him with hair. It's, it's very weird. It, was, it just it looks wrong. felt weird. It looks like he just needs to like just I don't know like wipe it away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, it, it, and even he in this too, I didn't. Mm, I don't know. I think the problem is, and we can talk about this when we shift into talking about the film itself, is Carpenter was very clear about the movie he was making mm-hmm. to everybody. And I think everybody <laughs> leans into that. Yeah. But unfortunately, I don't think he executes the film he thinks he's making as well as I would like him to. Yeah. Yeah. So he's quoted as saying, I'm making the biggest piece of shit film I have ever made to like, Purposely to mock kind of 80s right. action movies. Yeah. His tongue is firmly in cheek here, and he is just doing the weirdest, kind of biggest kind of film he can think of. And that explains a lot to me. And I will say, watching the film again after all this time, realizing that and actually starting to get what he's doing, yeah, I softened on it. Okay. I actually had a lot more fun with it than I anticipated I was going to. <laughs> I know. He he said he was really frustrated that most people took it as a serious horror movie. And I think like part of the quote um, 
He was like, the name is Ghosts of Mars. I figured the campiness would be self-explanatory. So So he just, does he just not put the pedal to the metal enough? Or I guess maybe for you, Helen, he did. For me, he did. Especially mixing um, with the music he he chose to make for it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's so schlocky and just absurd. And it works for me. <laughs> it is definitely over the top. Like for for me, it felt over the top. Like having having no context for it before, and like I've said on past episodes this season, like so many Carpenter movies I had never seen before. So I didn't have the experience. I obviously didn't see this in the theater, but I didn't have the experience of seeing this movie after waiting you know three years since Carpenter last made a movie and like so that's kind of like what a lot of people were kind of going in of like oh man this guy's like amazing he's incredible this is going to be like (laughs) next level and then it's Ice Cube running with two (laughs) AK-47s around Mars just shooting at creatures that we know that if they get killed, the little ghost floats out and then goes into somebody else. So maybe don't like try to blow them all away. But it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I feel like part of why he he did that, though, is he kind of combined a lot of elements from like like his favorite elements from other movies. So like um, Mm -hmm. like Assault Mm -hmm. on Precinct 13 it's got like the western theme, um, the siege yeah. finale of this one, um, like the convicts and cops having like banter, bodily like possession from the thing, and um, mm-hmm. even like the army of these possessed miners kind of look like the the creepy um, marauders from Prince of Darkness. So it's kind yeah. of like a bunch of elements that he's already put into like better films. Um, that he combined yeah. into this one. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a lot of things coming back in this that I've seen him do before. Some more successfully <laughs> than others, but it's interesting too because um, I think part of the part of the story that we get kind of in the middle of this is the kind of backstory of what's what the hell is even <laughs> happening. You know what? Like, why are people all of a sudden acting crazy? And I was reading that that is, um, and this is like a film that comes up over and over through reviewing Carpenter's career is it's another reference uh, to, I think it's like 1967 uh, Quatermass in the pit. Again, okay. um, he mm. used that as a pseudonym. He's used character names from that movie as character names in his own films. And part of the plot of that movie is very similar to what we see here when... Um, That's a Hammer film, right? I do not know. I, I think it is. <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure, but that that's the part of the plot we get with um you know when they disturb the the ancient door and things are coming out and that's a little bit of an homage to that film. So he's definitely giving us a lot of the same things he's given us before, um just kind of stacked on top of each other a little <laughs> bit, a little bit here. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you how do you all feel about the flashback? And then the flashbacks and the flashbacks and then the flashback and the flashback and the flashback. Did you, as well as to the just immense amount of dissolves and swipes and what were your thoughts on his, how he decided to film this thing and tell this story? I mean, I think with like the, the fades and like swipes and things like that, that is very much a product of its time more than like John Carpenter just 
like wanting to make this movie that way. I feel like a lot of movies that came out around that same time, like Cabin Fever, Resident Evil, Dracula 2000. Mm. Um, yeah. I would say they're all filmed like that. Maybe not like a flashback within a flashback within a flashback. <laughs> um, <laughs> which happens like numerous times in this movie. Yeah. I don't know. I, f- I feel like it's more just a product of like how movies were being made. Yeah. I, I like playing with time in movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I like it when you it starts off and we're actually kind of near at the end and we have to see how everything kind of came to that point. Usually I'm I'm on board for that kind of stuff. What about you, Juan? Is that how were your thoughts on the whole thing? Normally I'm I'm down for playing with the timeline and and confusing me and being like, wait, let's back up and you know jump around. Um, I did not enjoy it in this film because I felt like it took me out of it to start with the premise that it's just her on this train to then back me up and have her set out on this journey with everybody else. I'm like, well, they're all gonna die. Um, and I guess like the twist is that desolation doesn't and he's going to come back for her later. And like, that's that's something you weren't expecting. But I did not like the choice to tell it as testimony from Melanie. I also didn't like it, not just because it kind of took away the stakes a little bit for me, but because part of it was, you know, obviously we had the issue of she's telling a story and then she has to tell something else that somebody told her. So we're getting flashbacks within <laughs> somebody else's flashback but it was the part towards the end it was where it really kind of really stuck with me is when she's we're seeing the flashback of the scene on the train where she's talking to cube and she's like i gotta take you in and he's like no come on and she's like no i gotta do it and he handcuffs her to the train (laughs) and leaves her there but then we go to the courtroom and they're like and so what happens she's like well he must have handcuffed me while i was asleep and i was like then who was that flashback for like i understand i'm watching a movie and it it was for me but i'm like if what i'm seeing is what she's telling them but i just saw something that she didn't tell them now i don't know what she was (laughs) telling them so that part really really threw me a bit i would have preferred to see the movie without the structure of the court i don't think it added anything and i think it's not like we needed it padded for runtime right. <laughs> so i would have i'd i'd love to see if somebody somebody can cut this thing together without that included and just let it play from start to finish you could still keep like the kind of reveal of he's come back to save her and they're gonna bust some ghosts together um <laughs> careful now i want to get sued <laughs> could still be good but but that yeah the narrative structure really in this one that was a big issue for me yeah it it ruins its own plot points but i have to say did not notice a heavy use of dissolves noticed it later when i was watching it again i was like oh wow this really does keep (laughs) happening but it it didn't bother me while i was watching it i just i really did feel like well this is the vibe of this movie like this is this is what we're doing Star Wars has a lot of weird wipes and we just accept it because they're like, ah, that's what we do in Star Wars. <laughs> if if that's what you're committing to, it's not like it's inconsistent throughout the movie. If we're going with weird dissolves and, and wipes and fades, okay, just do it. It didn't feel like, oh, this is a serious movie and then it took me out of it by having a weird dissolve. Like, it's up here yeah. the whole time. So that part felt fine to me, but narrative structure really really I think got me the only I time it. i was like annoyed by it is like towards the end where they they leave the mining camp and then decide to go back yeah 
yeah. as she's like explaining it she's like it was a simple plan the only problem was it didn't work how it was supposed to so like we already know that whatever they're gonna do this is where it all goes wrong so that yeah. was like yeah like that was like yeah a big spoiler i know it I don't like that in honestly in the same way that when we had the the other episode when we talked about Big Trouble in Little China I hated that the movie opened with like I'm gonna tell you how Jack Burton saved this city and I'm like what man why oh just let me watch the movie and like it's just I just don't need that don't tell me how it's gonna end I can make some assumptions based on the fact that it's a movie. Like if you're starting off with like a team of eight people and it's called Ghosts of Mars, I don't think everyone's making it back home. And that's okay. (laughs) Like, let me just go for the ride. Yeah, that was my issue. I have to say like overall, for me, the narrative structure is the number one problem I had with the movie. Everything Hmm. else, I was just sort of like, "Eh, it's 2001. What are you going to do? I feel like if it had been told in a fully straightforward way, I'd be bumping it up like a whole point. Like, really? my score. Yes, I really do. Like, it is. It bothered uh, you that much. It, it drove me nuts. And constantly going back to the courtroom to be like, and then what happened? I'm like, no, just keep right. telling the story. Like, don't you think remind- it robs a f- yeah. film of any momentum. It does. Or- and don't don't remind me that this is a flashback and that she's going to be fine because I'm just about to watch her get possessed. Don't don't remind me that she's going to be okay. Yeah. Like, t- come on. Yeah. So it's a weird endorsement for drug abuse too. <laughs> oh, it's what saved yeah. her life. So Yeah, you want to make sure yeah, you want to not be possessed and Do you drugs, know, a couple kids. drops of tetromonochloride. <laughs> also known as clear. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Is that an actual thing? It didn't even occur to me to look it up. Is there something called tetromonochloride or is it a is it some kind of there's a tetramonochloride? I mean, those are words. It's made of hydrochloric acid and pneumonia. Something tells me that's not safe. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you should I don't do think that. You would survive. <laughs> maybe if you crushed it up and snorted it. May- and maybe on Mars. I'll try it later. <laughs> I know. mean, her pills maybe, were very maybe small. Maybe it's different on Mars. So maybe it's just like yeah, a tiny bit of it. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, maybe yeah. she's microdosing. My answer is yes. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say I like the necklace she keeps it in. Whenever she takes one, it starts moving and she watches it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that was like a, a wild little demonstration of they're like, guys, she's doing drugs. Here we go. <laughs> I was like, and again, like it really, I was like, but her hair's so perfect. I just don't believe it. But yeah, and drugs saved her they life. Did. The demons did not like drugs. <laughs> they are, they're, they're, they're into clean I guess living's not the right term, but uh, yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. Well, apparently, Big Daddy Mars is uh, <laughs> real straight edge. Think, yeah, how do you get swole like that? Yeah, so the, the demons cannot move through doors or glass, and um, drugs defeat them. So there you go. There is a weird thing, too, where if you kill the possessed people, then it just moves on to a new host. So you'd think you wouldn't want to try and kill everybody. Because I think maybe if you find a way to knock them out or drug them or something, that may have been more effective. Trap them behind glass or a wall since they can't get through that. Like I'm thinking about drugging and somehow corralling them. Helen's like, no, shoot them in the knee. Just maim them. Kneecap them. Yeah. I need a a little (laughs) violence. You can't just put them to sleep. 
It is yeah. a carpenter movie. We got to dig him out of the knees. We got to. Right. I mean, or or just put him behind glass because like it can't it can't escape glass somehow. It it can penetrate yep. a human body, but it cannot penetrate glass, which is liquid. So technically. I'm and to make sure I understand. So they were an alien race on Mars. Well, they were they, Martians, right? Yeah. Well, I oh, sure. I guess they were the indigenous population. Yes. They died, but their spirits were contained for some reason? Or were they just malevolent spirits that the Martians contained? And then Ooh, were, I didn't think were, about were, that. I think this is a plot point that was not explained. <laughs> <laughs> but That's fair. Yeah, I, I went with the assumption that these... Like, I didn't take it as these are ghosts. I was like, these are little microorganisms that take over your body as a host and that's what is the native species on mars is these little oh, really? tiny that is fully how i accepted it is people are being like possessed by what is actually mars mars's population but i know that has nothing to do with the title <laughs> and i know that i made that up completely based on my own thoughts and not based on anything actually in the movie but that's what i thought okay, i i like that <laughs> i think i'm <laughs> You're both looking at me like yeah i'm right. like that okay. more maybe I mean, I've recently had a conversation of, like, do aliens exist? Like, it would be ridiculous to assume that there's no other life in the entire universe, but it would also be ridiculous to assume that that other life might be something we could comprehend or even see. Like, who knows? Mm -hmm. And so, like, yeah, that was kind of maybe what played into my thought process there is, like, this is what lives on Mars is these, like, little microscopic things. And when they get into something like humans... They're going to be like, oh, my gosh, now we got a body. Now we can get rid of all these people who are taking over our planet because they couldn't before. I don't know. I, I I fully just made up my own story while I was watching I, it. I like it, though. I feel like <laughs> it might have improved the movie if they included that. But I, I just always took it as it was like these like ancestral beings that were like mm-hmm. real angry about us coming onto <laughs> Mars and then when we like open that door that like why would she touch it there is a door blocking this cave for a reason why are you going to touch it right yeah but how secure is it you can touch it and it just dissolves immediately <laughs> but <laughs> it's not our planet we shouldn't we shouldn't right. be starting trouble like, like this they dug to get there anyway so like once they mm-hmm. got there and saw that they yeah. should have been like let's leave it alone <laughs> but then like when that opened yeah. Then, like, the red smog took over. I got to give Carpenter props, too, for a little bit of an anti-imperialism message in this film, too, you know? Or uh, uh, the Native Americans coming back to haunt and destroy the yeah. uh, English mean, settlers there, in a way. Yeah, I mean, they, they called it out, like... Or not even here, <laughs> just other countries as well, but yeah. They said, you know, we're, we're invading. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> we are. Like, we're trashing the planet for ourselves, so... <laughs> It makes Look. sense. It makes sense. I I guess I'm on the the side of the the ghosts of Mars. <laughs> Even okay. with the weird piercings and everything, you... they seem to enjoy it though. Yeah, it's true. You know, I'm I'm not gonna kink shame. <laughs> it was like a riot at a Judas Priest concert. <laughs> <laughs> it's their planet. They were just having a time. Who am I right. to judge? That's true. That's their culture. Yeah. yeah. Where do I get off? Yeah. They were protecting yeah. their space. Okay. I would like to discuss the matriarchy that that we are presented with in this film because 
I was excited to get that introduction of like, this is this is how society functions here. And it was cool to see the women being in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got a little chuckle out of like, oh, I hoped we'd get a good woman we could count on. <laughs> But then I did kind of wonder, I was like, is it a toxic matriarchy? Just like a toxic patriarchy? I couldn't, I couldn't tell if like the idea is that like, even if it was a matriarchy, people are still assholes. I couldn't tell <laughs> what the intention so was there. So there's like one point that kind of points that maybe it's like a little bit toxic. And that's um, yeah. Jericho, Jason Statham's character, refers to himself as a breeder. Because yeah. he's like, there's not many of us left. Yeah, no, that's what I do. <laughs> when he's trying to seduce Mel in like the few scenes that, that that type of conversation takes place. Yeah. And in the debriefing room there's only one male on like the entire council. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but then it's kind of like debunked because they send two males on this like squad of only a few people to yeah. begin with. And then if you look at the miners, like there's definitely males in the riot mm-hmm. that's happening. Yeah, we got Big Daddy Mars. (laughs) It's not Big Mama Mars. (laughs) I was hoping there'd be more, more of the the change to the language that, like, just the subtle changes. Because there's one point where a line in this movie is referring to some tough hombres. And I was like, why is it not tough mujeres? (laughs) Like, that's so much better of a line Mm. anyway. And I was like, they talk about like the oh the yard master was here and I'm like why isn't it like the yard lady or like the yard I don't know mistress is like not quite the equivalent of master but like what I was like I wanted to see more changes to the language and like more things that will would indicate that society is different but I guess we did have two men writing this movie so maybe they they did as much as they could (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was as far as they're like yeah women are in charge and that means what? That women are in charge. And, and but what breeders. else will be different? Women are in charge. <laughs> there's there's yeah. no there's no like ripple effect of like how would society overall be different? It's just like no 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 the women would be in charge. <laughs> and they they can't can't see past other than that what that might do to society beyond just who's calling the shots. At least they weren't really bad or lazy with it, you know, like hints of pink in the uniforms <laughs> or uh Putting a tampon dispenser on the train, you know, just lazy stuff. Speaking of the uniforms, um, they all had, like, different glasses. I'm not sure how much you noticed, but, like, Mel's glasses are completely different from Jericho's. Even Bashira had, like, smaller glasses than everyone else. And um, Helena, who's Pam Greer's character, had, had no glasses. And then even the guns they use... So Mel's gun had, like, a few, like, extra pieces to it. But then, like, um, Helena's gun and Bashir's gun, they use the same shotgun that, like, is used in Jurassic Park. So, like, it's, like, (laughs) the exact same gun that, like, folds out and... I did not notice the inconsistencies in, like, their equipment and uniforms. I guess I can't really process, like, or I don't don't know what the answer is, like... (laughs) In terms of society, in the society that exists on Mars, where do cops fall? <laughs> like, are they like the leadership? Are they grunts? But because it is a relatively small story as far as the the people and the places that we're interacting with, I don't have a better sense of like where these people fall in society. Like, all I know is that they're cops right. and there's a criminal and 
the criminals are inherently more interesting because <laughs> that's just how it works. But the world building is just to get us moving, not so much so I think to really establish. Yeah. The entire thing. I don't know. It's 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 kind of like some. I don't want to say throwaway, but it's a bunch of stuff that yeah, it's just like this. Oh hey, this one's run by the chicks, the ladies, frauds, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I appreciate that it's something different, but I I still it left me wanting more of like please do please do tell me what this would be like. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen. I mean, I think there's hints and touches of it maybe of this kind of almost crypto business friendly fascist organization, you know, government run by women that are terraforming this planet, which I think is what he's hinting at, given some of the uniforms and stuff too, but doesn't lead into it enough. Like, it doesn't have the, I don't know, what would be the female version of huevos there? Uh, <laughs> that, like, um, <laughs> Paul Verhoeven does in Starship Troopers. Now, if you want to look at a satire mm. of something, you watch that film, right? A lot of people didn't get that movie at the time either, and I, that I can't even wrap my head around. He beats you with a mallet, what he's saying in that movie. <laughs> but still, yeah, I mean, that's, I think if... If Carpenter had leaned more into that, the absurdity of everything, I think it would have been more successful. But I, I, there are touches of it there, and maybe that's part of my frustration. Right. Again, yeah. just like with vampires. There's touches, there's ideas, there's seeds. But I think, again, his workmanlike ability of just, you know, again, another well-shot film. It's mm -hmm. all made very well, yeah. everything. But it's him being economical now, it becomes pedestrian. And I think that's one of my challenges with the film. There were a couple of times where the council or whatever that that group in the courtroom looking place where that they refer to the cartel. And I'm like, ooh, who's the cartel? <laughs> what's going on over there? Like, they're like, should we tell the cartel? I'm like, I don't know. Who are they? Like, but let's see, that's tell great. them. That's a I want to know. Yeah. That's a key thing of fascist governments is with businesses and the governments right. work kind of hand in hand. I, wa I wanted to know But there's no more. Neil Patrick Harris literally walking out in an SS uniform moment, <laughs> you know, which I think would have really kind of pushed the film over the top could, for me, given another point for me. Sure. Yeah, I think I th there's there's a lot more I'd like to know about the world of, of Mars in this right. movie. And it does seem like the yeah. cartel is like, it's above them, I guess. So like yeah. that's mm -hmm. who they're sending. They're pulling the strings. Their report to, because the, yeah. the statement was like, um, is our statement to the cartel going to be that Mars is overrun by ghosts? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see the next part where the cartel receives that report. Right. <laughs> like, how do they take that? What's what's going on there? I, the I truly <laughs> like, does it come in as a fax? Like, how are they receiving this news? Like, what are we? What are we doing in 2156? Yeah, but when the cartel sees that, yeah, they're led by a guy named Big Daddy. Big Daddy Mars. <laughs> you can't argue with Big Daddy I mean, Mars. Even even his character, like, it kind of looks like the Alice Cooper um, cameo from, <laughs> yeah. from Prince of Darkness. So, like, even that mm. mixed with Marilyn Manson, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, slightly jacked yes. up. Like, a, a little, just, just a little bit. And then I, I kind of want to touch on the language they decided not to build for the, for the movie. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like they just told this guy to shout and because, <laughs> like, they don't give us subtitles. So we have no idea. Nope. It's obviously not English. It's just like, 
it kind of sounds like he has peanut butter in his mouth and he's just like trying to <laughs> yell. <laughs> I love that description so much. And like you you have no idea what he's saying the entire movie. Like the main villain has no English words or subtitles. So like Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he didn't have a script to go by. He was just like No. That dude was just giving it his yeah. all physically. Yeah. <laughs> and that was that was it. That's all he had to work with. One of the behind scenes videos too I did watch is there's a scene where he they come out of the one of the buildings and that's what he does. He screams for three, four minutes like directly at the camera as a bunch of the possessed are you know, streaming out, you know, as they run past him. And it's funny is after they get the shot he starts. He stops screaming. And he's like, <coughs> you know, they catch that part. That's all caught on the camera. Aww. Yeah. Aww. Okay. I have. I have one. One more thing that that I need. I need to talk about here. Is, <laughs> okay. I need. I'm because I'm. I'm mad about this, Chris. So. Uh oh. So at the end of the movie, as I've already kind of alluded to, like when Ice Cube is like, "This is my stop. Like I gotta go." And she's like, "You know, I can't let you do that." I was like. Why can't you let him do that? We've already established that the thing you were going to bring him in for, he didn't do. Like, we've already covered that within the context but of the movie. But he's still a, like a bandito, right? He's still a bad but nope, dude. But they said that every other time he's been arrested for murder, it then becomes self-defense. And so while he has killed oh, yeah, a lot of people, off. he has gotten off every other time. And then they're like, this time we're finally bringing him in because apparently he chopped a bunch of people's heads off. But then they get there and it wasn't him. It was the ghost mm-hmm. of Mars. And so this part in <laughs> particular made me people say <laughs> this made me mad because it felt like an intentional homage back to assault on precinct 13, where our cop has to turn over the bad guy at the end of the siege, even though he helped him stay alive. And that guy's going to jail and he's going to death row. And that guy's going to, you know, it's over for him, even though he helped our cop survive the siege. And that's like kind of what they're setting up with her is like, she's like, she's that much of a cop. She's that dedicated to justice above everything else. I got to bring you in. And I'm like, but he didn't do it. So I was so upset that I was like, this isn't the same thing as that. That that bugged me that she was like, you know, I have to bring you in. I'm like, you actually don't. You know, like, and they, t- it's not that just like, we know that he didn't do it. They say it earlier in the movie. Like, he's like, now, you know, I didn't do that. And they're like, yeah, we know. <laughs> it wouldn't have bugged me except for the John Carpenter made assault on precinct 13, where that part where he had turns the guy over is like so crushing. And and so I hate that he's, you know, hearkening back to something so good. I feel like maybe mm-hmm. he did this specifically because of that, though, because in Assault, the guy does get turned over. But in this one, Desolation escapes. So it's yeah. like the same thing where, like, the cops are, like, dedicated to being cops, but mm-hmm. um, it still has that kind of happier ending where, like, even though she she would have... She would have turned him in. He still right. gets away. And I think it means that he's a, he's a better person than her because he comes back <laughs> he to does. save her even after <laughs> she was willing to take him in and turn him over. He still, you know, goes back into where it's going to be dangerous for him because that's where all the cops are because he wants to, you know, work with her and save the city. What is it? A city of settlement? I don't yeah. know. Crisis? Is that what it's called? I think so. And what, were, what was with his just 
shiny brand new silver guns at the end there too another thing that was like just took that from someone when he like broke into this facility broke into the yeah Yeah. Yeah. all right he must have stopped by like the weapons room on his way to get Mm -hmm. like (laughs) loaded up and he's feeling a little little glamour he wanted to that's that's where he gets like his big moment almost of like (laughs) commentary he gets the like that's the the tide is up time to stay alive and then (laughs) and then my least favorite line is when he's like let's just kick some ass and then mel's character is like it's what we do best and i'm like no (laughs) (laughs) but it's fun i don't know yeah before before we get into our, our returning players, our score corner, our favorites, all of that, mm-hmm. is there anything else from the, the film itself, either the plot or performances or characters or questions, anything else we got to cover uh, from Ghosts of Mars? Oh, maybe the fact that this is what ended John Carpenter's days as a mainstream filmmaker. <laughs> so a little bit, a little bit of that to talk about. Yeah, yeah this is... And and that's been, again, like, the thing that is really interesting to do when we do a season like this is, like, you really are focusing in on just one director's career throughout everything that's going on. And so you can't help but see how each movie and its performance and the experience of making that film leads into the next one. So, yeah, this one was quite a doozy <laughs> for for him and his career and... It's not the first time that he's been like, ah, forget this. I'm walking away. We've only got one more left in, in mm. the season. And it was made like a decade after this one. Yeah. And I don't even think it was released theatrically. I don't think so. I think it had a couple Maybe small. Maybe like, like super limited. Yeah. Yeah, like LA, New York type yeah. of a thing. Yeah. But yeah, no, not. Yeah, I think Tarantino has said that. I thought he was full of it, but now I'm starting to believe him because he said he's, he's going to make one more film and he's retiring mm-hmm. because he's seen all these great directors yeah. who at the tail end of their careers just start churning out stuff that is just, you know, just weakens their legacy. And he says, I, I don't want to do that. Yeah. So I'm disappointed to hear that. But when you go through something like this, like you said, Juan, you, you do see... That diminishing returns. I mean, from the mid seventies through the mid eighties, I mean, he was just churning out classics of the genre. Mm-hmm. And here, it's just not a great way to go out. No, and that's been the kind of the hard part. If you heard our last episode, the the heartbreaking part of it all for Chris in particular, as somebody who's like a lifelong Carpenter fan, is his run through the seventies and eighties. Definitively, now is like great stuff like appreciated lots of people know it culturally relevant all of that but like at the time eh. like even the stuff that is like top tier didn't really have the impact then that it has now and so while you can appreciate like that part of his career for what it means for the work itself when those movies didn't do well or when critics were like that's obscene um, with some of the like the special effects and the thing like that takes a toll and that impacts the rest of what comes next he's like a respected director and has a career that people appreciate and enjoy his work and are huge fans of him but he didn't get to enjoy that while it was all happening and that's gotta 
for somebody who is like always a, a grumpy old dude, it's got to make <laughs> it even grumpier. Yeah. Like, where were you when I was making these movies? Why <laughs> didn't you love them then? And it's right. like, well, some of us weren't born. <laughs> he influenced a generation, if not a couple generations, of filmmakers. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, he can find some solace in that. But yeah. yeah, yeah. And I just want to mention quickly too. I think there's something I appreciate about miniature work. Yeah, that you can, especially when you can tell that it's miniature work. Like basically all the stuff with the train in the beginning and all that stuff. It's all miniature work. And I, I don't know. There's there's a, a nostalgia to me watching that kind of stuff. Yeah. you know that it's just like. Oh, that's cool. I that's got a great. soft spot for it, too. I love it. Because it's so much work. Like, it's... Yeah. I I look at it and I see, like, how much time and effort people put into doing things like that. And I just think it's so cool. So, yeah. I think some of the special effects don't really work as well, um, unfortunately. And again, in an odd way, some of it's... Though I appreciated some of the, the gore and the amped up, and I've always been a big fan of beheadings. I don't know what that says about me, but when it comes to horror kills, they're one of my favorites. And uh, again, the Nicotero stuff, I don't, it's it's great, but everything it's still everything feels very synthetic mm. and clean to me and sanitized a bit, which is a weird thing to say about somebody being beheaded. But still, it's I'm not sure. Everything always looks like, Oh, that's clearly a, a fake head. It looks like a great fake head, but it always l- seems to be lacking. Like he clearly figures it out with the Walking Dead stuff. Mm-hmm. That all stuff is great, but this early, this stuff in the late eighties and nineties, and I guess clearly the early aughts, the Nicotero stuff. Again, it just it's a little bit too it shiny. It all looks, yeah, yeah. You, you can see like the light reflecting off the latex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I do feel like they put some money into the explosions, though. I feel like all mm-hmm. of the explosions oh, yeah. looked so good. Um, even, like, the weather balloon explosion yeah. looked really cool. Um, and then the atomic bomb at the end. I liked the weather balloon one in, in particular. Overlaid with itself. I was like, yeah, right. let's yeah. go all in with that because we know we spent some money on that. I like so, that that was her that form part. of transportation, too. <laughs> <laughs> she was it's like, just, it is a fun idea. Yeah. yeah. Coming from this other colony and in my weather balloon. Which I fully accepted having a couple movies ago watched uh, Snake Plissken hang glide to get somewhere. I was like, yeah, <laughs> hang gliding, weather balloons, yet yep. totally reasonable <laughs> modes of transportation. Why not? All right, boss. I counted two returning players in this film who've been in uh, Carpenter from. Carpenter films before we've got Pam Greer back from Escape from LA and Peter Jason back from everything. <laughs> he's uh, he's his favorite. So did I did I miss anybody, uh, Chris? Did I miss any people? Did Amada been... play any roles? I know he did the stunt coordination and, I don't and think he has all a that stuff, but I don't know if he was. An, he must have been one of the ghosts. You would imagine. I do, I I did not find. Yeah, I didn't see that anywhere myself either. But it was uh, not Big Daddy Mars, unfortunately. (laughs) So that brings us over to Scalzo's score corner. Do you have any thoughts and feelings about the score for this film? I mean, I I liked it. Like I said, it it was definitely dad metal, but um, (laughs) I I read that it was just like um, so he himself recorded like a bunch of synth pieces, um, and then he actually had like. The guitar player from Anthrax, um, yeah. Steve Vai, <laughs> and then also from Nine Inch Nails, Robin Fink. So he like had both of them do 
pieces like along with his synth i don't know so th- i thought that was kind of cool i feel like the the score matches what we're seeing yeah i i, I yeah. feel very strongly <laughs> about that and even you know last last movie too with vampires like the score is he's like giving us slightly different flavors of what we've heard from him before attuned to meet what we're seeing on the screen so and i think that's what the the point of a score is supposed to be right so yeah i think yeah, i agree yeah i think it's pretty pretty good there not not <laughs> not one of your favorite carpenter scores it was fine like <laughs> i love my sin stuff know, and to know. have it just kind of i think for me weighed down by like buckethead and steve <laughs> i and, and and everybody it just it was just a big, I guess I, I can confess, I was never a big fan of new metal, dad metal, any of that stuff. <laughs> I never got into it. Yeah. So I think that may be part of my apprehension towards the score. I think it's fine, but it's just another heavy kind of rock guitar driven score. And I'm more of a synth strings kind of guy. So That's fair. I do like that he kept it completely consistent from the opening it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of like a slayer type of sound <laughs> yeah. and then like right until the credits like as soon as it, it goes to black it's like just kicks right in it's back to slayer. yeah okay so we're we're over to our favorite performance um so helen would you like to go first and tell us who gives your favorite performance in ghosts of mars sure (laughs) i mean uh it's it's ice cube and it's um because of his one-liners so um they just i don't know they're they're so good they're they're a little (laughs) bit cringe but like they they make me like laugh and just smile i guess just because of like how (laughs) ridiculous they are the one scene where where um i think it's dose (laughs) cuts his thumb off and then yeah and um he like falls on the ground and ice cube just looks at him and he's like that's what you get dumbass or like something (laughs) like that um (laughs) it's just I, i don't know i i liked his kind of wittiness in his um like how he played the character but he's got some of the best lines i think yeah um in in uh, a script that is a little bit inconsistent (laughs) and he's getting the best of it all chris who gives your favorite performance in this movie so i agree with helen that's probably my favorite scene that interaction is probably but i think i I also, though, I think the greatest line delivery in the film goes to this, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. Here's your coffee, Mr. McSim, three sugars and two whites, just the way you like it. The way you like it. (laughs) I don't quite understand why he says it. Here's your coffee, two sugars, the way you like it. I can't even place where that was from in the movie. It's like very right in the beginning. (laughs) Who was that? It was one of the guys working, running the train with uh, with uh, Jason. Oh, yeah. And he brings Wait, him his coffee. That guy was in Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, was he? Yeah. Oh. Because the, there's like the two train conductors and one is um, Peter Jason and the other is the, the main character from Revenge of the Nerds, but I don't remember his name. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. It was just, I don't know why. It just jumped out at me like a gigantic neon <laughs> sign. And that, it, that's, your, you like that's your favorite, Chris? No, no, that's my favorite line delivery. What's your What's your favorite performance? I don't know. I just everything was underwhelming about it. The weird thing is too, though, I I like the film better than I did when I first saw it. Yeah, but 
part of me wants to agree with Helen and go with Cube. Plus, I'm a big Cube fan, so... But I... We're going to have a poll, so it's it's okay. We'll put I the also poll wanna, up on Twitter. I really... I could, I'm, the problem is, I could just throw a dart, and if I hit, hit Henstridge, Cube, or Statham, I'd be happy with any <laughs> one of those. Okay. So I, I don't know. I'll Just to be different, I'll say Statham's weird, horny breeder, <laughs> you know, lieutenant soldier guy. Even though, he, like you said, he looks like the guy... With his hair where, what do they call that? When he would just be all the, use the magnet to move the little <laughs> metal pieces on top of the guy's head, the fuzzy head guy. It really or does look like the magnet. Move it around, put it like on his goatee, make it a goatee. Like just, yeah. 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 It's, I'll go with my boy, Stephen. Yeah. That's, it's a solid choice. It's a solid choice. I, can't, I don't know. <laughs> sure. In the same vein as, as a favorite line that you have, I have a favorite line as well, which for a while made me want to pick this person for my favorite performance, which is uh, Uno. Um, <laughs> when uh, Dwayne Davis, as Uno, gives the line back to Satham where he's like, we lied, <laughs> like making fun of his accent <laughs> right back to him. Yes. I laughed out loud. It was so funny. I did not see it coming just because it was a good one. Jason Statham is ridiculous the way he talks. Like, I know that people really do speak that way, but his accent combined with his gruffness is so silly and over the top. And it's never addressed in movies. People just accept it because that's what Statham brings to a role. But to have somebody just immediately call out like how stupid that sounds compared to everybody else who's American is like, we lied. Like it is like a pirate <laughs> accent. It's so silly. So that was that was my favorite little line there. I think I got to go with Cube as well, just because he's. He's like the biggest personality we've yeah. got going in the movie. And yeah. and that we need we need that. We need you know the reveal of Desolation Williams to be somebody who you're going to be like Desolation, please tell me more. <laughs> like, right. You it's, you get uh, him running yeah. with a submachine gun in each hand. <laughs> like <laughs> it's, Yeah. Yeah. So. What if he was like Anaconda Pliskin? Like Snake's great great grandson or something like that. I would accept it. Oh, that would be that would be so perfect. Because then you get the anaconda wink. Then you also get the escape from New York, LA. Ugh, Any I, snake would be fine, but yeah. Exactly. But I like anaconda. Yeah, yeah. Could be good. <laughs> like anaconda. Yeah, it's a family name, right? Right. <laughs> I like it. So we we've we've got some choices. We'll do the poll. We'll ask Twitter. We'll see what what people think. Um, But that brings us over to our rating of the film. So in the Carpenter season, we are rating on a synth score. One to five, half synths are allowed. (laughs) Helen, would you like to start us off with your score for this movie? So on my letterbox, I have this sitting at a four and a half out of five. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> Chris is shaken. I Chris, are you okay? Are you okay? What now? I yeah, <laughs> no. What? It's so uh, entertaining. I yeah. <laughs> I I respect it. Love what you love. Yeah. I, so like I, would it be like in your top five carpenter films or um a four and a half, I think must be, right? So I honestly like all of the Carpenter films except <laughs> for um, The Ward, I think is almost okay. unwatchable. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> um, 
I didn't love Memoirs of an Invisible Man, to be honest. Okay. What's your favorite? Dark Star. That's your favorite? That's my favorite. Yes! Justice for Dark Star! <laughs> it's so good! It's so it's so good, and <laughs> it's, it's so impressive. Yes! For what it is, it's, I think it's just, like, ridiculously impressive. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Chris is broken. Because <laughs> when, yeah. when we started, I was like... Chris, I love this movie. And he's like, yeah. what is wrong with you? <laughs> no, it's a it's a five out of five. That's like a perfect film. All right. Well, the man made the thing, but okay. If you want to go with Dark Star. <laughs> the thing is also a five out of five, but I'm yeah. just saying. You like, can have multiple fives out of five. Oh, certainly. Dan yeah. O'Bannon didn't work on the thing. So. Yeah. I gave Dark Star, <laughs> going back to our ratings, I gave it a four out of five. Yeah. The beach ball alien. It's so Come good. On. <laughs> it's so good. Benson, Arizona. That's a bop. That song. Like, yeah. oh, I can't. Now yeah. I need to sure. rewatch it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that we got some love for Dark Star. I love yes. it. Chris, do you do you have a rating for Ghosts of Mars? Yeah. Is I it th- higher <laughs> or lower than what you rated Dark Star? It's I think the same. Oh. I think I'm going okay. with a two again. Okay. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah i i gave that to vampires as well i i if yeah i don't know i just i think there's so much that goes wrong a two for vampires is pretty valid yeah we we had twos across the board for vampires last week for me um or last episode i prefer this to vampires this 100%. is yeah. i mean I, again i am a person who loves avp like <laughs> i <laughs> i like some early 2000s uh nonsense um the narrative structure for me though killed it for me like totally f- like i said before totally takes a whole point away so i'm giving this a two and a half if there was no flashback if this was just a straightforward story mm-hmm. three and a half but it's not we've got a weird <laughs> tribunal court reporting to a cartel i don't know what it is so it's a it's a 2.5 for me fair enough (laughs) so now we have our final stat for this episode um which is where we rate the movie zero to ten on how many fucks did john carpenter give about the making of this movie and this has been all over the place throughout the season uh it is completely independent from your rating of the movie but how much do you think he was putting into it effort wise how much did he care how how what what kind of like was this a passion project was this a gig etc etc so chris do you want to go first this time on i guess so (laughs) um so here's the thing about this i feel like he's into this like his heart is but his brain is like somewhat checked out when he's making this thing i feel i don't know what it is i don't feel the same level like like after the failure of vampires, which we think we all felt like he f- would have been his comeback movie, and it just didn't shake. I'm gonna give him an eight on this one as well for okay. the F's. I'm thinking that he's like, you know what, this might be it for me. So I'm gonna give you exactly what you idiots want, <laughs> and I'm gonna make the biggest dumbest movie I can. Big Daddy Mars. Big yeah. Daddy Mars. Yeah. So there you go. Okay, I'm giving it a solid six for for the effort doing the writing and doing the score absolutely putting putting the points in there for me um Mm -hmm. but i feel like he wasn't and this is based partially on performance and partially on what the actors have said since is i don't really feel like he was 
pointing them in any clear direction of like, this is what we're doing. Give me this. Give me that. I feel like, like we said before, that he's so economical as a director. So he's more about the the nuts and bolts of directing and less about yep. pulling a performance out of an actor. So he's just sort of like, do what it says on the page. Just do it. That's where I have him a little bit lower. Just at a six, because I don't really feel like he was telling them what they were doing <laughs> there's just you know there's there's peanut butter mouth big daddy mars who doesn't even have lines so right. that's where i landed there so um helen why don't you uh give us your your rating here for this i think i would agree with an eight um just right. because of like the effort he put in to writing it the effort he put into scoring it um and even like bringing the guitar players in to like help with the Mm -hmm. score Mm. um and like the frustration he felt that people didn't understand the film the fact that that kind of like pushed him away from film for 10 years yeah i feel like he he probably had some heart into this like um just to have that much of an effect on him response of it all of it not doing well and how much that that impacted him I think I'm I'm gonna bump it up to a seven. You guys have convinced me. <laughs> there you go. I'm changing yeah. I'm changing my number. So those are all the stats. That's the data. That's that's the facts. That's everything. Um, is there anything else? Any final words about Ghosts of Mars before we wrap things up here? If you haven't watched it, it is worth <laughs> a watch. Give it a chance. <laughs> it's on Amazon. That, that's guys. my plea. <laughs> if you're remotely interested in what Carpenter's doing, you have to at least see what happened. Right. You got to at least see what we're talking about and go um, into it expecting like it's not serious. <laughs> <laughs> he did not direct it as a serious movie. Yeah, it is hella early 2000s. So wow. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> hella. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> well, Thank you so much, Helen, for joining us on this one, for sharing your love of this movie with with us and with our audience. So we so appreciate your time. Is there anything other than Ghosts of Mars itself that you want to plug? Any? Do you want people to follow you on Twitter? Uh, um, you know. Let me just say. If they want to. <laughs> I'm on her Twitter right now. Not only does she have a Wicker Man drop tweet, which is great, but she throws out some praise for one of my favorite unsung films of the 80s, Dead and Buried. Uh, so I'm very impressed. Look at you. <laughs> that is a, also a perfect film. That is a five out of five for me. Um, <laughs> one of the craziest endings, but um, go watch Dead and Buried too. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So we'll put your Twitter handle in the show notes, but uh, it's H Barletto. Go follow Ellen. Go, go give her a follow. That's how we found you. So yeah. we gotta we gotta plug the Twitter. <laughs> this was so fun. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Absolutely. So you can you can follow the show here at Screen Run on Twitter. I'm at the Lady One, and Chris is at CG Scalzo. You can find the show anywhere podcasts are, um, and we're also on our website at ScreenRun.fun. Wherever you're listening, um, please leave us a rating, a review, tell a friend. And um, we'll be back again next time talking about Carpenter's final film thus far, The Ward.
time I saved your life. Yeah, run a tab! <laughs> 